So for what it's worth, um, I just had a call earlier today with Mike Crandall. Oh, good. Oh, um, that great. How, how do you guys get, get on? He's a great guy. Oh, he's, um, he's got a great business he's got going. Um, so, you know, he's, you, you meet people who you kind of put on a pedestal and then they fall off. But he he's built such a phenomenal business there with Sandler. Yeah, so. it's he's he's pretty amazing from that standpoint. Um, he let off the conversation. It was interesting because he let off the conversation with, you know, hey, Darren introduced us. How how can I help you? How can I serve you today? Right. Yeah. And which is my line. That's what I always <laughs> ask. Somebody. Yeah, I do the same thing as when I hit you. I was like, OK, I can't use that. Who gets to that line the first? It's like there's a competition there, but it's actually very authentic. But it's just, yeah, you're right. (laughs) It it is. And it's, well, what happens when you start working with people that are truly service oriented or have a service servant leader mindset? Right. That's, it becomes your go to, but it's authentic, right? It's, it's real. Yeah, it is. And I think it's, um, you know, when you've been talking about personal brand and when you're a solo entrepreneur, yeah, you've got your logo, your LinkedIn present, the rest of it. But it really comes down to the fact that, you know, the old adage of people by people, which I really do not like. But, you know, in this business where um, you're an unknown entity, especially when you drop out of corporate. I mean, that's usually the culture shock everybody goes through, especially if you're a big egg in, in that world. It's just like, yeah, nobody knows me. And I went, yeah, that's 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 kind of how it is. So building that up and, you know, and one of the things I liked about sales, sales acceleration, one of the reasons why I was attracted to it is, um, you know, I'm, I'm very open. I'm not a big church person, which in the Bible Belt America is, uh, I always thought that would be an unsafe thing to say, but, the reality is it is a very big faith-based business, um, which means you're dealing with people with a ton of integrity and service orientation. Um, and, you know, and even though it's, it's very faith-based, there's no pressure to people who are saying, well, you know, I don't go twice a week and I'm not tithing. They, they do come across because, again, we're there to help people, and that's what attracts everybody in, the, in, in that group is at the core – we see small business owners who need help, not necessarily asking for help. And of course, who are they going to go to? I mean, they're going to go to people who have got these uh, these base values. Um, yeah. Now, I'm not saying that everybody else who doesn't have that is not because, you know, people buy people based on, you know, uh, birds of a feather flock together, all that kind of good stuff. So, uh, but yeah, it, to me, it's been very refreshing because sales has such a negative connotation that you know the, the people you meet at sales acceleration i mean they are they're just coming from a good place and, yeah. um, well, and that's why and that's why i think mike that's why mike comes across as so you know why wouldn't you want to talk to this guy <laughs> he can he, he clearly can help me <laughs> so yeah you know it's funny because i i actually come from a really strong faith background and okay. um, right. and, and like that but the ultimate irony for me is in business a lot of times what I've found, unfortunately, is some of the people that lead with that on their sleeve mm. don't always don't always follow through the way they should. And and some of the folks that don't lead with that, that are extremely, you know, worldly for all practical purposes, but they they realize exactly what you just said. It's it's a trust-based business, yeah. right? 
And you, and it's funny because, you know, from a faith background, I, I, what I could see is somebody saying, well, no, it's a grace-based business. Well, yeah, there, there's trust and grace and you got to have both. Right. Right. Um, and, and it's, you gotta, I think a friend of mine once said, you know, truth without grace is like surgery without anesthesia. Wow. Right. That's you know, not really, just that sounds really painful. <laughs> well, he, he was just talking about just like unvarnished, harsh truth, right? When you yeah. just, you know, if you don't have, if you don't code it in a little bit of love and grace, then it, it just, it goes hard. But, um, no, I'm, I'm with you, right? It's, you gotta, you gotta be able to deliver as you walk, walk through this. And Mike is definitely one of those guys that does that. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and he, and the, and the, and the truth is always in the pudding because I mean, was he 13 years now, 14 years? Um, and you know, when I go to those, uh, monthly meetings over at Denver tower in Oklahoma city, um, just the people he's attracting, you know, these are people who are all wired and, they are out. I mean, last month I listened to a lady who's been through her horrific couple of years, uh, personal life, but how she has rebuilt and then the people around her who helped her. And she was very humble about the fact it was the people around her that were lifting her up. Um, you know, this is a team based sport, even though we're still entrepreneurs, we don't think it is, you know, we think it's about us, but it is a team based sport. I mean, it's, we're out there helping each other. Um, you know, I mean, one social group, uh, networking group where, um, two or three of the sales outsource sales VPs, they're truly competitors at the end of the day, but in that meeting, not at all. Yeah. I mean, very, very supportive, exchanging ideas and tactics. And you kind of see and they go, well, you just kind of just trying to find my, you know, my, my magic source. And the answer is no, they're, you know, they're, you know, they're, and these are people who've been in business for five, six years. So there's just so many people out there needs help. We just need to have good people helping. Well, and, and to your point, it was interesting. I went through a uh, pricing workshop and ended up leading pricing and doing a couple of things like that. But, and the fundamentals of pricing, when I was going through the different training and it was open, you know, to different companies and things like that. Um, one of the things that came up, they were like, you would always rather have a smarter competitor oh, yeah. than a dumb competitor. Right. And yeah. The, the guys, yeah. The guys that were putting on the, the, the clinic, they said, Oh yeah. That one of their, one of their clients said, Hey, actually that's, it's what prompted them to do public workshops is they were like, can you, can you bring these other guys in? We don't want to know what they're doing, right. but what they're doing is stupid. And right. we just need them to get smarter. Right. Well, cause who wins the customer wins at the end of the day, because they're getting, they're getting really good, clear comparisons as to what's going to work best for them. And to me, you know, okay, there's, People out there, there's, there's, there's companies on there who are always going to buy cheap. Yeah. Okay, good. I mean, there's plenty of analogies out there. There's plenty of quotes about if you go cheap, you've got to put money aside to say, you know, because you're going to buy it. The reality is, though, anybody who runs a successful business, no one's buying purely on price. I mean, so, um, and then when you do see people doing stupid stuff like that, all they did was devalue the market. And by the way, made us all look stupid. Um, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> take a smart competitor that every day of the week. Um, back in my Hilti days, I mean, just the competitors in that space. You know, you look at DeWalt, um, you look at Bosch, ITW, and their sub brands. 
I mean, just world-class players. I mean, and they just kept, even from an innovation perspective, just kept each other on the toes. And the winner was the customer every time. And it was the people who were building, you know, you know skyscrapers and airports and stuff. Um, and, you know, that's where the value is coming from. So I think, yeah, I mean, I, it's very hard to find, you know, there are people who are doing some dumb stuff. Um, <laughs> things don't tend to end well. So no, no, and it, well, and it's you know a ferocious, intelligent competitor, right? Or a couple of ferocious, intelligent competitors actually creates a much healthier marketplace. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Right. Well, uh, well, yeah, I mean, it, it forces you all to have a game, and if you don't, you you probably don't deserve to be playing there. That's I? right. And so, um, yeah, I like I said, it's. Um, <laughs> My, my last month's newsletter on LinkedIn, I actually did a, um, an article on pricing, but it was way down in the newsletter, so I'm not sure many people read it. But I remember years ago, we, we ended up doing a 10-step reasons why you don't discount. Um, and I kind of went back and put some of that back in there. It was, it was just refreshing my mind again, just some of the – and now at the end of the day, from a business perspective, finance people don't like salespeople because they, you know, they, they throw discount around like confetti – um, and when I first heard that from a VP, a VP of finance a long time ago, he actually put an expletive in there so you can guess where it went. But the reality was it was because the teams didn't understand that for every 1% of discount, what it did percentage-wise to the profit. That's right. Because, you know, salespeople aren't usually taught unless, of course, they're particularly inquisitive. And that's the smart salespeople. They understand that side. But And then... You know, that whole game, but, you know, it came back to comp plans. Well, the comp plans in the good old days when there was just true commission on everything, I mean, salesmen will punish your comp plans. Then they'll take advantage of it. So, you know, you've got to get back to the fact that, if you know, you're not educating your own team to be smarter and give them the tools, then, you know, that's going to impact your business. So, again, when I see that behavior of people really not discounting smartly whatever, you know, I always go back to the leadership because they're not giving them the tools to be successful. And, of course, they've got to work harder. They have to get more orders in to hit forecasts. So I'm just like, why would you discount? Yeah. You know? Well, and it's, it's interesting, right? Because it, what was it? McKinsey came out with the whole price waterfall yeah. know, two decades ago now. Yeah. Right? So it was a while back, right? But it, it did a great job of explaining the leakage points between what your list price is and what you actually bring in through the door. Right. Yeah. And it's, I th I, so I think that's the issue. I mean, you know, I think people have got a ton of knowledge in this day and age. They, you know, we can, everything's available online. You can read. And you know, by the time AI finishes with us, I'm not quite sure we're going to end up, but I mean, you know, that stuff is all very good to learn. But now you've got to put it into practice and actually have people do it while they're in front of customers and be able to be skilled and trained enough to be able to do that. And again, I think that's where salespeople get into a lot of trouble. They're not given the training. Um, no. They're not given the, uh, the expertise. Um, um, you know, and I think that's kind of Mike's organization does a very good job of helping them do that. Um, I work with a company called Customer Centric Selling. Is one of the people I work with, Frank Fiscalis, who's had a very good career on B2B type selling techniques. And they've all got great training and structure. It's context-based, again, depending on how you want to sell, you, you pick your system. Um, 
but I, I got to tell you, so quick stat, I probably worked with about 30 companies in Helmer and one of my roles as an internal consultant. And one of the questions I would ask the sales teams when I first worked with them is how many of them have been on professional sailing course in their whole career? And some of these people were 20 year, 30 year veterans. And I tell you, less than 10% of the hands would go up. What? Yeah. Of the 10% I had, and there's usually the older guys and girls, they would sit there and go, well, did he go in the last five years? And then all the hands would go down. <laughs> now, when I was training buyers on how salespeople sell, and I'd say to the buyers, how many of you have been on sales training courses? 80% of the hands went up. Yep. And salespeople wonder why buyers just bounces around like a happy little ball. <laughs> it's not like a cat playing with a little mouse. I mean, it's, they are so well trained. And then, of course, you ask a salesperson how many times they've been on a buyer's course. I mean, there's, yeah, I may see one hand in, in 10 seminars. Um, and that, to me, is why you've seen this influx of sales professionals coming to the market to say, look, we need, ex we need, to, we need to up this game rather quickly. Because the environment's changing very quickly around us. So, but yeah, it's, um, the discount thing is a thin path along which of issues that sit in the organization, I think, is, is my experience. Oh, w without a doubt, right? It's, it's one of those things that, you know, when, when people start talking about, hey, I'm going to discount it, most of the time, it's 95% of the time, it's a lazy fix to a different problem, right? Yeah. It's not always, right? I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant to use that, that phrase, but the, the reality of it is, it's like, oh, well, we need to discount this. Well, it's either we didn't have it priced right to begin with, right? Okay, yep. Yeah. Right, which, okay, and if we didn't have it priced right to begin with, let's fix the price, right? The market has shifted, right? Yep. Which again means we don't have a price right to begin with um, or there's there's something going on and there, there's some problem or friction point in our offering that that we've got to overcome and we're wanting to over we're wanting to fix that friction point with price rather right. than than actually you know fix the pro process but i think that's back to you know product life cycle management again i mean there are instances when you're late in the life cycle if you haven't kind of if you can't package and put lipstick back on the, on the on the packaging then you may be into a straightforward price especially if there's you in that same for same marketplace um the way i was going to add to you last part of your sentence and then there's the salesperson and and i don't mean this you know because why you know i bring this up the sales okay here's another person going to be on us it's not that salespeople are the smartest people to gain a commission, a, a um, variable comp program. Oh, modest people in the world. I, you know, anytime I, you know, I learned that very long in my career. I go with a comp or campaign. I'll be very happy about it. And I go to the top two or three salesmen in the organization. And say, well, what do you think? They'll go, well, I'm going to earn very well on that, Baron. And I go, well, what are they? And they, they, they go, because here's the issue. But if you involve them in that conversation, um, not only do they put a campaign in. That is probably because again, this is the tactical portion. This is where I think marketing and sales executives overreach. You know, you've got good, tenured salespeople, um, and they know how to earn. They're not going to sit there and gouge the customers because I mean, that's why they're successful. They want there to be a good deal for the customer. They want to, you know, in theory, want a slightly better deal for me, and they want a good deal for the company. So they want that. They want their trifactor win. Mm -hmm. 
professional salesperson. Um, but I've seen comp schemes where when you say, well, what's driving the discount down? I've seen salespeople say, but Darren, you know what? I go straight to, I go straight to 40% discount straight away because I can close the sale in 15 minutes faster and I can get two more calls in a day and that's how I make more money. And it's just like, okay. So it was nothing to do with the customer. It was all to do, back to you say, laziness. It was laziness of the leadership putting in a shoddy comp plan. That's right. Or a comp plan, they didn't understand the un unintended consequences. Uh, and salespeople in today, I mean, the good ones know what they're good at doing. Um, but I think I, I, I've never really met a salesperson who was there who was all about them and they were taking advantage of the customer. I've rarely seen that behavior. They oh, are. Well, you can't stay in business long, right? Because it goes back to what we were talking about to begin with. You, you lose yeah. integrity and trust in the market. Yeah. And salespeople, the one of the things I do, you know, the, the, the good groups you meet, I mean, they are passionate about the customer. Um, they are the voice of the customer. Um, but and usually, again, we haven't given them the skills and how to communicate back to us constructively. So that's why half of them get ignored and they get so frustrated. But, you know, give them a path to bring that forward. Oh, my goodness. I mean, you, it's that flywheel effect is just amazing. But, uh, yeah, I sat down with a couple of presidents and said, right, we're going to sit down with the top two sales plan. They're going to help me write the comp plan. They go, no, you're not. Why not? I don't want to share my profit with them. Okay, well, we'll put some metrics in place. It says, but... Um, you know, we've got a good value proposition and they've got a pretty good idea of how to set that. That's, that's, that's use them for good. I'd rather have them working for me rather than against me. So. Yeah. Well, and I, I think that's, that's actually a brilliant insight. And it's one that when I was talking about being lazy, that to your point there, in some situations, it's not that people are being lazy. It's people understand the <laughs> economic they're being, yeah. they're being business smart, but yeah. they're not going to tell you that in front of you. So, well, if you have to have to put it in front of me, and then then you hear horror stories where salespeople leave because they won't pay the commissions and stuff because the company's like, well, yeah, you guys completely broke the system. Well, did you grow? Well, well, yeah, but we didn't want to give too much profit away to the salespeople. And I'm like, well, I kind of know where the idiot is in this conversation, and it's not the salesperson. So, um, but it's interesting when you have these conversations because it's. Um, you're right. There's just this, you know, the, the big argument on variable comp. I, I can't tell you how many people I've walked into recently. Salespeople are all on fixed salary, which is interesting. I mean, yeah. maybe there's a profit bonus at the end that everybody gets at the end of the year, but um, that you know, most salespeople when you interview, one of the questions I ask me, you know, what 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 split do you want between your variable? And I've always found the really good salespeople, like, I'd like a 50-50 or a 50-60. They don't, you know, some people say I want an 80 variable or whatever, but 50-50 you know, seems to be around about a fair point, and they want the variable open-ended. That, that's the critical piece, right? It's like, don't cap me, right? Don't cap me. Yeah. And because, I, yeah, I, oh, one of the most shocking moments that happened to me was I was a uh, a GM for a business and we had a shared a shared sales team, and so the the different businesses reported you know in their earnings at you know by product line or something to that effect, right. yep. and then the sales team were responsible for selling the entire portfolio, and the group that I was responsible there were about two or three groups that uh, were were close to hitting their target. And there were two or three that had hit their target. And 
went to one of the national account reps and I said, Hey, you know, I've got to get another, I don't know, half a million dollars, million dollars in sales or whatever. And right. your account for my line is coming in light, right? It's coming in light by that amount. And he goes, yeah, but I already hit my number. Yeah. And is. I said, what? And he said, look, you got to understand something. Anything that I go over. And he said, I've, I've hit my number. I've maximized my earning potential. And right. anything else that I bring in now, all they're going to do is take my number up next year. Right. And I need that for next quarter, next month. Yeah. yeah. Uh, again, and you sit there and go, okay, well, that salesperson got a bad attitude. Well, maybe yes. There's, there's an argument to that because they're a team player and the rest of it. But, um, you know, when I, when I hear those stories, it's like, well, <laughs> well, who created that situation in the first place? It wasn't that conversation. Right. That started it. It was the, it all started back in the planning period in terms of That's what right. we were trying to drive. And, um, you know, there are good salespeople out there who would probably, you know, some would do it. And then there'd be a bunch of salespeople who say, hell no. I mean, you're an idiot. Why would you do that? But yeah. well, salespeople, get, and they get a bad rap for that because it's like, well, you're not a team. No, well, <laughs> it, there's always more to it than that conversation. You just, you yeah. Just, it, and look, it, by the way, the guy's a good friend of mine, even to this yeah, day, exactly. right? <laughs> I, right. he's, he's a dear friend. And it was one of those, he said, Mike, look, I'm incentivized to do this other. And not only, he said, I'm disincentivized to go close that deal. Right. Yeah. And so we, we asked, I escalated it and went the path. And they're like, well, then we'd have to change the comp. And to exactly to your point, right? It was, it's, it's give a guy a one-time bonus and, I, and also give him a multiplier because he did the right thing as well and drive the right behavior, which is, you know what, in future, when you're in that situation, Go have the conversation. Look, I've you know, I've had several salespeople on my career come and say, Darren, I've got an extra two hundred thousand coming in. Um, you know, do we need it? Sure. Well, you know, I'm already high on my grid, and the way that you've kind of got the grid, you kind of always have it slightly plateaued. I mean, like, okay, dude, well, I've got to adjust the grid up there. That brings that in because we want the business now, mm-hmm. and the main reason I want it now is because I do not want to go into the competition, and that's why you've got to tie it up. I mean, you delay this stuff, you're, oh. allowing, you're allowing the B player to come in. And that just yeah. scares the heck out of me. Yes, that, that's right. That, that's exactly right. Um, yeah. So yeah. It, it was funny. So, hey, one of the things you mentioned earlier, right, as we were talking, and I, if I remember correctly, you were saying, you know, when you went out on your own, all of a sudden you went from, you know, the brand of the company you were with, which, you know, Hilti, everybody knows Hilti, and then gone um, – to a couple other places, but you know, when you're on your own, all of a sudden now it's, you feel, you realize just how much that logo opened a door for you. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, I, it's interesting, both Hilti and how other groups I work with, um, you know, you talk about being on the shoulders of, you know, of giants and stuff, all the people they've gone through. Um, and I got told a long time when I was doing product management, you know, remember you're only ever housekeeping this. So, you know what, like anything, when you look at such a house, when you leave it, find it tidier than you found it, and maybe maybe you did a little bit of improvement along the way. Um, and, you know, that point alone, I knew was v- coming into stepping out away from corporate was back in the days when uh, salespeople were threatened to leave. And, by the way, I'm taking my customers with me. So back, you know, pre-CRMs and stuff, I suppose, but you know, back to Rolodex and they take the list with them. Um, and I, th- you know, maybe that was, but I, I, I've never seen in these large brands that happen because, 
you have these guys and girls who have worked four or five years for a really strong brand. For whatever reason, they get they leave. Usually, you know, hopefully could have got a better job. Normally it's because they're annoying or they're not performing. Uh, and of course, up into the Friday night, Brand X was fantastic and the best products in the market and you know, good at this, faster, better, quicker, smells nicer, all that kind of good stuff, especially in the B2B world. And then Monday morning, they're out on their own and now they're going to be working, either, if they stay in the industry, they're going to be working for a competitor. And that apparently competitor B is doing so well. So you've got to go around all your customers and say, well, for the last five years, I know what you've told you. It's probably not right. You know, they are the, I'm now working for this brand and we're better than them. And it's like every salesperson I heard did that. I mean, they just got thrown out in their ear. Yeah. And that's when you realize, okay, you know, we're always part of the engine. We're part of, you know, we're always, it's, it's that team-based approach. Um, and yeah, you may have one or two people who are really good in certain markets, but as a whole, you know, when people buy, especially in business, they want sustainability, they want security, and you know what? It's sad to see you go, Darren, but you know what? I'm still sticking with Hilti, or I'm still sticking with Brand X that you, you, yeah. you've been representing. And it's so when you get into the real world and you get your brand and you've got people helping you and stuff, they're like, great, I'm going to do some advertising and stuff, and people will just come follow it, they'll see my profile and they'll kind of start giving me a call. <laughs> That's pretty much not how it does not happen, but I think it's you know, um, you know, digital media is a uh, who told me the other day. It's the at the end of uh, the yellow brick road. It's the the wizard behind the curtain. Behind the curtain, yeah. It's uh, and it's you know you uh, on the front end, it's like fantastic, and on the back, it's it's pretty ugly <laughs> for while you're putting things together. So, uh, but yeah, so it's, I think it's tough. Um, and yes, you get people who are smart enough that they get accounts before they jump. So the double, the double house, which is clearly a smart way to go. Uh, but I think for senior executives who are probably doing 50, 60 hours a week, that's actually probably tough. Um, but yeah, I think it's that brand, that personal brand building, it, you know, it takes time. Yeah, it does. So, you know, when you, when you left Halma and you went out on your own, what were what were a couple of the, the biggest challenges that you had? And when you look back in some of your biggest wins? Well, the biggest challenge I think is that, you, you know, when you come from a corporate environment, you're operating in a different realm because you're either part of a you know, multi-billion dollar organization, 600, 200 million. And then when you focus on small to medium sized businesses, that's the first massive adjustment because the trouble that a small, medium-sized business is having are usually less similar to the larger problems, but, you know, they're looking at things more practical, like so-and-so didn't turn up today to answer the phone. I have nobody else to answer the phone. Yeah, I can't make payroll this Thursday because vendor X didn't pay me. So they have a ton of small operational things that just keep them awake at night. And so their, their challenges are things that in a corporate world, we say, yeah, but we have a team to go fix that. <laughs> so to us, we're, we're completely glossing over a lot of the, the smaller fires. So that's the first big adjustment is really spending the time and understanding where their real pain points are, where they need help. And they don't need glossy PowerPoint presentations. They don't need, I mean, they are, I mean, these are people who've rolled their sleeves up, sell their own businesses or start their own businesses. And they just need somebody to kind of, help them with the heavy lifting. So you've got to, and that's the second thing, you've got to get your hands dirty. So 
if you're an executive and you're used to spending time in meetings and just spouting off things and getting people to do work for them, you've got to get used to doing the work. So you've got to get your, you know, your, your Excel skills up and running and stuff like that pretty quick. Um, and I think the, the final one is um, that I knew I'd missed because when we, I stepped away in 2009 to do a startup with my wife is I missed a lot of the intellectual conversation that these companies attract. You meet a lot of smart people up and down the organization. And when you're on, on your own, I mean, that's why you do a ton of networking because you, you, get, you get to meet equally, if not better, smart people in this fractional world. I've met some really smart people who I've been able to sit there and just learn that I wasn't getting back in corporate. So you've got to build that network up. But I, I did miss that is the, um, you lose that people connection very quickly. So those are, those are three challenges. Um, on the plus side, um, the variability has been fantastic because again, that keeps me out of bed each day because it's taking that skills, that toolbox you've got and applying it to different problems that you would never come into. Um, I spoke to a company a couple of months ago on soil. They have a special chemical they put in the soil um, that they sell to weed farmers. Okay. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that would have not happened in a FTSE 100 company. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> It'd be like, <laughs> yeah, okay, that's, yeah, that's not going into the funnel. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yes. Yeah. So, um, to, I mean, just the variety and creativity of small business owners and the businesses and the problems they're solving is just off the Richter scale. And it's just, so that's been, that's been my, my, my one biggest joy this year is just that who are you going to bump into next and what is the challenge they're going to put in front of you? So, I mean, what was your experience? Um, what was your, how did you find things? You know, I, I, I think it dovetails well with your your third point, which was the team, right? And the lack of conversation slash input. I think there's another one, which was um, because I, I grew up in a small entrepreneurial family and oh, yeah. with small yeah. business and things like that. So there were things that I just knew. But then when you go and you spend 15 or 20 years in corporate America or in corporate, you know, businesses with thousands of employees, you come numb to the infrastructure and the support system around you. Exactly what you just said, right? It's you don't have to worry about making payroll, right? Cash flow is not an issue. And right. even if it is an issue, there's there's an army of people that are working on it. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's a lot of that day to day stuff is just and then when you come in, you, you have to learn. And it's good because, I mean, you realize one of the, as you get into late into your careers, the reason why you are getting frustrated is you aren't learning anymore. Yeah. And it just seems to be the same problems you're solving. And, of course, then it's you know, that definition of sanity. Then you realize my thinking is probably part of the problem now. Yeah. Oh. Um, yeah, so. And then that's – I realized that a couple of times. I'm like, I'm sitting in meetings and go – I know what the problem is in this meeting <laughs> and it's not the people sitting on the screen. It's me. I'm not, I don't get it. I don't see it. And that's just not fair on the team. It really is. Yeah. Well, and I've, I've got a, a little bit of a life philosophy that is disruption is inevitable. Right. It's just a question of who's going to cause it. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and it's, you know, in life, I'd, I'd rather be the windshield than the bug, so to speak. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> a good visual, right? Well, well, my, my, my children get upset with this because they will say, how can you tell a happy motorcyclist? He has dead, t- dead flies in his teeth. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um, It's it's so I I think you know to to a certain point, right? There's this this point where you go through your career and the wins, especially early in your career and through I'd say through your mid career, you're put on a cycle where wins are happening weekly, monthly. At 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 the long cycle is six months, right? Um, And then okay, now you, you, you realize and people tell you, well, it's going to start slowing down and the, the assignments are going to stretch out a little bit more. Okay, they go to 18 months and 24 months, right? But again, it's still, there, there's that rhythm that's there. Um, and what's actually happening with all of those different assignments, to your point, is you're stretching your brain and you're continuing to grow and you're continuing to learn. And then as that slows down, it's almost like these shots of dopamine just get stretched out and you're, you're right. like, I'm just not, it's not there now. What's going on? And I, I don't know about you, but I believe in the power of plotting, but asking me to plod is painful. Yeah. I, well, and I think the business problems you're asked to solve are different. So um, I forget if it's McKenzie or Boston consultancy group that they, they have a layer of you know um SME subject matter expert manager and then the third one is executive and then they have coming across diagonally not quite diagonally but it then it's the people competency and strategy so the three things so it's not a straight nine box the slants come across and of course when you're a single contributor, subject matter expert, I mean, you don't necessarily have to have good people in, in good interpersonal skills. You've got to be able to talk and be polite to people, but they have to be fantastic. Um, your competency has to be off the Richter scale. And I'm probably not going to ask you much about strategy. But on the executive side, you have more strategy and people and very little competency. And if you're one of those people who actually realize you enjoy the doing, and as I get older, <laughs> but I also like the title and the pay. <laughs> and that's the bit that ends up because, you know, you see really good executives um, and, you know, they probably never pick up a pen in a meeting, but, you know, at the end of the meeting, it's things are going well and things are going fine. And you've got other executives. I mean, they're in there up to the neck doing all the stuff. Um, I think that's the bit I found. The more I got away from that problem solving. Um, now saying that I also enjoyed building teams. I mean, I, I always try to leave organizations with backfills, with my placement in and making sure that they're bringing good people through as well. Um, and, you know, that's one of the things I always kind of scored myself on as people have come through the teams, what roles do they end up and where they hire than me. And so that's a little bit of an ego trip, but that was to me was my how I could add value to the organization, the top end, if they wouldn't let me lose some product development anymore, if they wouldn't let me go selling anymore, or those sort of things. Um, you know, that, that's part of that role we get to a high level. And of course, if that's something you don't enjoy doing, you're absolutely right. That plodding along and just do it, it becomes a churn. Oh, you know? yeah. Well, and it's, it, 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 I'm glad to hear you talk about that because if I look back on my career, I would tell you, you know, when people say, hey, what are the, what are the biggest, you know, wins you've had in your career? And I'm, I'm hoping that 
Um, I'm still yet to realize the biggest wins in my career. Right. Yep. But, but the ones so far are almost always team related, right? It was it was helping somebody that was at a at a transitional point in their career and just being able to speak that truth and love and grace to them, right? Which right. is, hey, look, you, you're trying to do this job and that's not your gifting and your calling, right? And right, right, or or better yet, what's even more fun, right, is is building. And I've had a chance to do it about a half a dozen times. Is truly just transform or build out an entire team from scratch, right. and that's just a blast when you do. Oh that. yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I think that's the challenge. You know, the, the people I see are really good leaders in organizations. I mean, I mean. They are a people first organ. They're people first all the time, and it's not like they're smooth talk. And they're they're usually very eloquent, and they're very well rounded. But again, back to the you know, how can I help? How can I be a service? I mean, they're really. I mean, that's what they, when they're speaking to you, they're not really listening to what you do every day. The rest of they're like, what is this person like in this role? How do I get them there? You know, what's the value they're going to bring? Bring are people going to follow this person? <laughs> are they going to run for the hills? Um, and you know that's me, right? That that building um, building teams that one day you you know you can walk away and you're not needed anymore. And it, and people say, well, that's kind of a bit short sighted. You kind of be also always promoting yourself out of a job. Well, yeah, I like new things, so I need to move on anyway. So that's that's it. And if you're in a healthy organization, that's highly respected and regarded, right? Yeah. If you're in an unhealthy organization, that's a totally different issue then. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And yes, I've worked in both and everything in between. So, but yeah, you're right. Um, and, and that's the thing. And I saw that very early in my career. Um, so when you didn't see it, it was really hard not to keep talking about it. But then, of course, you realize you were unintentionally or intentionally, you know, you're criticizing people higher up the, up the food chain. And... Yeah. Some people would take that as good constructive. Most were like, "Yeah, who the hell are you, my friend?" <laughs> yeah. So, um, but yeah, I think when you've seen, you know, when you see what good looks like, um, and you go to places and you explain, you know, but people get to see why they need to do it. But then people are choosing not to do it. As you said, there's a whole set of other issues in the organization that you need to be worried about. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Thank you